Great to be here with you this morning as we continue in our series first. Uh, we, uh, if you've been here, you know, but if not, we'll sort of review a little bit. Uh, our first week, we looked at the fact that God calls us to give our first love to him, that above everything else, we're to love Christ. And, and our first priority then is to be kingdom priorities, uh, the priorities of God himself. And yet last week, we looked at the fact that in order to really put God first, in the area of our love and in, of course, our priorities, we really need to embrace the fact that God loves us. And we looked at the fact in Scripture, this is a love. God's love for us is really beyond our human comprehension. So we really need his spirit to, to help us embrace his love for us. So that the core of all the things that we do is his love for us. At first, it's rooted in him. And so this week, we're going to go into what I'm calling first fruit. Actually, the scripture talks about first fruit. This idea of this sort of this tangible test of whether or not we trust God and where our trust in God is. Like it's growing, you know, where, where is it at? And so the Lord actually gives us a way, and it was from the very beginning, the first family all the way through, uh, this first fruit to let us know whether we really trust him or not, so we can truly know those things. And I think that's so important, and it always has been important, but especially in our culture now. Uh, people ask me questions like, you know, where, where do you get trusted information? You know, who can you trust, right? And the reality of it is only God is 100% trustworthy. I mean, and that's, that's really at the root of trust. Only God's 100% trustworthy. I mean, how many of you in here are parents? How many of you have ever been a child? You know, have you ever used the words to your parents, you know, don't you trust me? And, and if my kids were up here, they would tell you the answer I give. I, don't, I only trust God 100%. I trust you, but, right? Do you really trust yourself 100%? Well, of course not. That's why we put parameters around our life, uh, safety parameters to make sure that we're, we're living the way that we ought to live and those type of things. So only God's 100% trustworthy, and we're going to be looking at this first fruit thing that God initiated for us to grow in trust in him. Before we look at that, I want to ask you a question. Who would you like to hear from? Like, who would you like to hear from? Think about it for a minute. What celebrity, what, what intellectual, what influencer would you like to hear from? When I was in college, I had the opportunity. I was attending Indiana Wesley University and some friend from, friends from Taylor University invited me to come on over and be a part of a small group. There were 15 of us in this room, and a man by the name of Wesley Duell was speaking on campus, and they had had him share in this really small group time. I felt really honored to be there. If you don't know the name Wesley Duell, you're, you're missing out. He, he was a missionary. He was a teacher, a professor. Um, he was a prolific writer. Um, he was a man of prayer. Uh, more than anything, he was a genuine uh, child of God. And I literally sat at his feet. Like we're in a small room and there are only so many chairs. And I literally sat right in front of him, right at his feet as, as he shared his life and journey in Christ and, and what, what he had learned about prayer. And, and I'll tell you what, I mean, I sucked, sucked in every single word of what he soaked it in, you know, just what he was saying. But as great as that experience was, can you imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus? I mean, Really? sitting at the feet of Christ. Now, of course, we have God's word and his spirit illuminates his word for us. So I guess one can argue, and rightfully so, that we can sit at his feet, so to speak, reading through the scriptures. But can you imagine actually being there and sitting at his feet as he taught? Now, what would probably not surprise any of us 
is that more than anything else, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. Like that probably didn't surprise any of us. That was the first and foremost thing he taught about. What would surprise some of us is that second only to the kingdom of God, Christ talked about money. Think about that. Number one, God's kingdom. Number two, money. Now, why would Jesus teach on money second only to the kingdom of God? Well, here's the answer. Money has a unique power to reveal the condition of the human heart. Money has a unique power to, to, to reveal the condition of the human heart. Now, when I came out of college, I was on staff at a church, and the pastor there, Pastor John, he did a stewardship series, much like us, every year. And he only really preached on money once a year. And at this one time, a wife had brought her husband to church, and guess what Sunday he came on? Yeah. He wasn't really happy about it, by the way. He wasn't really happy about it. But anytime you talk about money, people get tense. And I always say, well, if you're tense, you've got to ask yourself, why are you tense? You know? But he was ticked. He actually came home from church. He said to his wife, I'm not going back to that place again. A year later, he decided to come and check it out one more time. Yeah, guess what Sunday he came on? So help me, it was that Sunday, that Sunday, that Sunday. But money has a unique power to reveal the condition of the human heart. Listen to Jesus' teaching on this, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Certainly these words of Christ speak of our time and, and our talent, our testimony, but very specifically speak of our treasure. And what I realize is this, whether in first century Palestine or 21st century Finger Lakes region, money for many is the number one rival with God. Think about that. Much in our culture is either obtained through money or through trusting in the Lord. Many people try to find security in finances, try to find worth in finances. Of course, only these things can be found in the Lord. Money is the counterfeit here. But here's the simple truth, because I know what people think. Oh, they're talking about money again. The church must need money. But even if the church had all the money it could use, money would still have to be preached because money is a life transformational issue. That's why Jesus talked about it more than anything else, except for the kingdom of God, because it is just a life transformational issue. Now understand this about money. Understand this, money is not evil. Money's not evil. It's not immoral to have possessions. In fact, one of the ways that God blesses his children is through provisions. And so there's, there's nothing wrong with having it. There's nothing wrong with buying things. There's nothing wrong with taking a vacation. I mean, I enjoy my truck, as many of you know. I still get a Big Mac once a week. Someone said, you get one once a week? And I'm like, are you surprised I only get one once a week? Or are you surprised I get one? I wasn't quite sure what was happening there after last service. I'm not really sure. But so it's not, it's not, money is not evil. However, money presents each of us with a test that reveals the condition of our heart. So listen to what Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This verse doesn't speak against wealth. In fact, 
Materialism doesn't differentiate between the haves and the have-nots. Materialism is, is something that we wrestle with. It doesn't matter if we have money or don't have much money. It, it, it still can be something that's there. But it's not money that's the problem. The scripture says it's what? The love of money. That's the roots of all kind of evil. Because what? It destroys people's faith. In fact, Paul says people have walked away from the faith because of the love of money. Key question. Do you trust in God or money for your personal security? Do you trust in God or money for your personal security? Again, money's not evil, but does serve as a powerful test of the condition of our heart and ultimately our faith. This is why God calls us to this principle of first fruits. It's not until we as believers understand our call to, to really love God above all things and then to put his kingdom priorities above all other priorities. Of course, embracing the fact that God truly does love us that we can begin to enter into this principle of first fruits. So what is the principle of first fruits? Here it is. Believers are called to give to the Lord the first fruits, a tithe. Teaching first fruits or, or tithing is, is often reduced to just material things, but I want to say at its root, it is a spiritual issue. At its root, it's a spiritual issue. That we as people like to departmentalize our lives. That's our financial self. This is our physical self. This is our emotional self. And yet in scripture, it's no, you are you. And so all these issues at its core are spiritual issues. The traditional and biblical means of funding God's work, as well as us expressing our faith in God's church, is his first fruits tithing. It's a biblical practice where a person returns a tenth of their income to demonstrate their trust in the Lord and in so doing, support his work. The commandments are found throughout the Old Testament, into the New, but most of the teachings in the Old Testament, I've had some people say to me, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, we need to understand that we're the ones that separate the Bible from Old and New Testament. There's really only one Bible, 66 books. And when we read the Old Testament, we find a verse, for instance, like Leviticus 27, 30 through 32. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So the Old Testament speaks of giving and specifically tithing in terms of this accurately spelled out process. Jesus affirms the tithe in the New Testament, in the Gospels. But I've had people say to me, well, does the New Testament really deal with tithing? I'm not, I'm not an Old Testament believer, I'm a New Testament believer. Have any of you ever heard that? And I go, good, because the New Testament is actually a whole lot more generous Look at Acts 2, 44 through 45. This is the first church. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Acts 4, 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, by the way, this isn't a spiritual socialist experiment here. It's just generosity. In fact, it's one of our values here at Crosswinds that would be selflessly generous of our time, our talent, our testimony, and yes, our treasure. You know, the reality of it is God wants us to be generous of all those things. 
wants to be generous with our time, and he wants us to be generous with the gifts that he's given us. He wants us to be generous with our testimony. There's nothing like sharing how our story is intersected with God's story with somebody, and for them to realize that if God's done something in your life, that maybe he could do it in theirs. In fact, sometimes I wonder when I've shared my story of how Christ has made a difference in my life, and people say, man, if God can do that in your life, I wonder if they're not saying, if God can do that in your life, (laughs) he can certainly do it in mine. But there's hope that's here, and it's the same with our income. The early church prescribed a type. They taught that it was the absolute minimum, which was to be given out of their income. And they understood that the tithe was, was something that, that would allow them to understand where they were with the Lord, not where they stood with him, not positionally, but just where their trust was and, and to be able to see God work. Now, let me be clear. When we speak about a tithe, we're talking about 10%, but everything we have belongs to the Lord. Everything. My truck belongs to the Lord. Every little thing I have belongs to the Lord. In fact, listen to this Psalm, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. In other words, everything we have belongs to God. Everything. So it's not like I give 10% and then go, I can do whatever I want with the other 90%. I'm prayerful about that. You say, you mean you pray and you still buy a Big Mac once a week? I do. I do. And if the Lord convicts me of that, I'll I'll, I'll wrestle with them and probably stop. But, 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 you know what I'm saying. I had a friend, um, more of an acquaintance. He was a speaker, and, and I had gotten to know him a little bit. I remember he was sharing one time. He, had, he was very gifted. He was a gifted speaker, a gifted musician. I mean, he could pick up almost anything and play it. And he had uh, saved up and bought himself a baby grand piano. He had been raised in a pastor's home, and so they had a piano growing up, but it wasn't a baby grand. And he had finally saved up the money to pay cash for this thing. It took him years. And he was playing it one day. And the Lord brought to his mind a church down the road. It wasn't even his own church. It, was, it wasn't his church family. It was just a church in the community who needed a baby, who needed a piano. And as he was playing it, he felt the Spirit say, you should give this piano to them. He shares that his first thought was, Lord, this is my piano. <laughs> I saved up all the money to pay for this piano. I love this piano. Well, the Lord kept working on him. And one day as he was playing, it didn't sound as good as it had. (laughs) And he gave his baby grand piano to this small country church near where he lived so they would have something to worship with. He said that was the best thing he had ever done. He said, who would have known that when God had had allowed him this uh, baby grand piano, but he had given it to him to be a blessing to others. And then as he was sharing, he reminded himself, I have an amazing keyboard at home. I didn't need that baby grant. Not wrong to have the piano. That wasn't his point. It certainly isn't the point why I'm sharing it. It was the Lord's piano. Like when he said, Lord, this is my piano. No, 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 it was God's piano. It was all loaned to him for a while. And he enjoyed it. Everything I have in my life is really God's. And so the question really is, what, what do I do with what God has entrusted to me? What do I do with what God has entrusted to me? Am I, am, I willing to, am I willing to trust him with these things or am I going to simply do what I want to do with the stuff that I have? And, and the reality of it is, in the end, when I simply do what I want to do with the stuff that I have, I'm robbed of the blessings that God wants to do in and through my life. I mean, think about that. 
And, and that's the journey that I went on. Let me share a little bit about my journey in this area of the tithe. Uh, many of you know I was, I was not raised in a church home. I was raised by good and loving parents, but they weren't Christians. Uh, for whatever reason, they dropped me off at church from an early age. My earliest recollection is being dropped off at church. So they would literally drop me off. I would go to Sunday school. I mean, from the age of five up and four, I mean, I, and then they would come and pick me up later. I don't know what they did during that time, by the way, that I was at church. I never even asked them, but they would just drop me off there. But I was raised in a good home. I mean, I was raised in a home where family was important, where, where friends were, friendship was important. In fact, I was raised very much so that family ties are extremely strong. But we weren't taught much in this area of generosity. My parents were generous, but the reality of it is, uh, except for the occasional, you know, here, Craig, here's a dollar, go put it in a little kettle there that the Salvation Army person was ringing the bell. We were never taught much about that in our home. Now, fast forward a little bit. My parents did come to Christ when I was 15 years old, and it was probably about that time when I was sitting in, a, in high school and heard a pastor preach on tithing for the first time in my life. I'd never been taught it before. And I've got to be honest, it's sort of embarrassing to admit, but as I was sitting there, I didn't think the message was meant for me. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there this morning. I, I sat there and I heard it, but I thought, I don't have a full-time job. This must be for the, for the adults who have full-time jobs. And so it encouraged me to be more generous, but not obedient in this area of tithing. And, and so I went on with my life. I went off to, to be a pastor. I went to school for Christian ministry. And, you know, it was interesting because that sort of was my goal from the earliest recollection I have too. Came to Christ when I was five. And about that time, my mom asked me what I wanted to be. And I told her I wanted to be a pastor. And she later would tell me when she came to Christ, she went in her room and cried. She asked my father, what, what, what do we do wrong that he would want to be a pastor? And my dad tried to encourage her by saying, don't worry about it. He'll want to be a fireman tomorrow. Like being a pastor is a face. Like it's so cool. Everyone wants to do it, I guess. I don't know. That's just not the way it typically works. But here I was, I was in college. And I, I don't remember, to be honest with you, even though I have a degree in theology, having much conversation on this area of tithing. And so I, I'm, again, a little embarrassed to admit, but there I was, I'm sitting in a, in a church as a pastor on staff. And yearly, Pastor John would give a message on stewardship, and he gave a message on stewardship. And I went, that tithing thing I think I heard about in high school. And the Lord really, really challenged me. I mean, my spirit was really convicted as I began to hear him talk about the fact that there's only one place in Scripture where the Lord says, take me to the test. Again, I had a theology degree, and, I, and if you had asked me, did the Lord, do we test the Lord? I would say, absolutely not. Do not put the Lord thy God to the test. And all of a sudden, John shares a verse where God says, test me in this. He shares Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you blessings until there is no more need. <laughs> no, does the Lord say, put me to the test. He says, if you test me, see if I won't bless you beyond what you could even comprehend. And, and I was blown away. I, I was young and married and I went home and I remember my wife and I started to talk about the fact that we needed to give and we needed to give obediently, but there was a problem in our life. 
And that is that we had gotten into the habit of spending more than we were making. Don't raise your hand, but I'm sure there's a couple of you who've done that. I mean, I was, we were new, this pastoral couple. We had people come into our house, so of course we had to have nice couches. Of course we had to have nice furniture. I mean, where are people going to sit? By the way, if they love you, they'll sit on the floor, okay? But I didn't know that then. And we had made bad, bad decisions. In fact, I remember one of those couches, we were still paying on it, and I was a student pastor, and we had to, the teens and I had destroyed the couch. You couldn't even sit on it anymore. And I remember taking it out to be picked up by the garbage man and thinking, I'm still paying on a couch that's not even in my house anymore. That's how bad it was. And so we realized if we were going to be obedient, we had to get some help. And so we got some financial help. By the way, that is a big step for many of us. Who wants to admit you need help? But we did. We got some financial help. We began to get in a place. We started to give obediently and and, and, and right away, God didn't bless us financially. Can I just be honest with that? Like the publisher's clearinghouse, I wasn't a winner. <laughs> but we began to move from really financial desperation to being able to start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And before I know it, I got a raise. Then I got another. God was blessing at the church. I got another. And before we knew it, we had margin in our life. Do you know where you're generous, typically? In the margins of your life. If you don't have any margins with your time, you're probably not going to be generous with your time. If you don't put margins in the way that you have conversations with people, you're probably not going to share your testimony. If you don't put margins in your life, in, in the area of how you use your gifts and so forth, you're probably not going to do it. Guess what? If you don't have margins in your life financially, it's really hard to be generous with it. And God taught us how to live within our means better than within our means. And he began to expand our means. Now, I'm not saying God works the same way in everyone's life, but let me tell you, the greatest blessing was when we moved from putting God to the test to trusting in the Lord. That was the big step. When we moved from putting him to the test to testing in the Lord, and I wish I had time to share time and time and time again how God blessed our family. Next week, I'll share a little more about that, but... Just how he showed up in ways that only God can show up. And I believe a large part of it was this big step of faith. See, here's the reality. So many times in my spiritual life, I want God to bless me on my terms. It just doesn't work that way. God says, I've... I've, I've spelled out what it looks like to walk with me. And when you're walking with me, I'll bless you. But when you're not walking with me, you're not in a place to receive them. And I found that to be true in this area of tithing. Now, I want to go in a little more and explain this. And I was going to write it out. I came across a video three years ago, a short video. And I think does the best job ever of explaining this principle of first fruits. And I thought, well, I showed it to him a few years ago. I shouldn't show it again. I started writing it out and realized I could not write it out as well as this video shows it. And so I'm humble enough to say, the video is better than me. So let's take a minute, look up at the screen. Let's look a little bit about what it means, this principle of first fruits. Two men bring an offering to the Lord, one of the fruit of the ground, the other, the firstborn of his flock. God accepts one and rejects the other. Why? Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The word tells us clearly that the offering Abel brought was the firstborn of his flock. But it doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits of his crops. It simply says, in the process of time, Cain brought an offering. Cain harvested his crops and over time gathered enough to bring an offering. It was an offering on Cain's terms. God accepted Abel's offering because it was the first of his increase. Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't the first of his. Giving the first to God requires faith. When a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it's not possible to know how many more lambs that you might produce. But Abel gave his firstborn lamb in faith, whereas Cain made sure he had enough for himself before giving to God. Many of us treat God the same way as Cain, making sure we have enough money before we see if there's anything left for God. Even if we give from what's left over, God can't accept the offering because it's not the first fruit. Other stories emphasize this truth. In the account of the fall of Jericho, the Lord gave strict instructions that the Israelites were not to keep any of the spoils from Jericho. All of it belonged to him, the Lord declared. Jericho belonged to the Lord because it was the first city conquered in the Promised Land. It was the first fruits. God withheld his blessing from Israel when one man took some of the spoils for himself. The first belongs to God. There was much more at stake than money when Abraham offered his firstborn son Isaac. When God asked for his son, Abraham didn't wait to have ten sons before giving Isaac. He gave the first when he only had one to give. Abraham had only the promise of having more sons. It took faith for Abraham to offer Isaac, faith that God respected and blessed. And God did the same for us. He gave his first in the form of his son, his first and only begotten son, who was given to us while we were still sinners. God gave Jesus in faith that we might one day give our lives to him. The gift of his son came before the blessing of our repentance and salvation. We give our first fruits in much the same way. Before we see the blessing of God, we give it in faith. Giving the first fruits of your income says to God, I recognize you first. I am putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of the rest. I can't say it any better than that, that when we boil it all down, when we boil it all down, first fruits is about putting God first, trusting him, and genuinely giving him our heart. This releases the floodgates of God's blessing in our life, not always materially, but, but far richer, peace, power, wisdom. In fact, I share this message with you this morning, not because I'm asking anything of you, but because I want something for you. And I believe God puts his first fruits practice in the life of, of us as believers, not because he needs anything, God doesn't need anything, but because he wants something for us. As you came in this morning uh, on the chairs, you saw this 90-day challenge. Uh, this actually was the same type of challenge that was given by Pastor John nearly 30 years ago when I was sitting there as a pastor, as, as part of his staff. And, and it's there for you to look over. You say, well, are you, you asking me to fill this out this morning? I'm absolutely not. 
I'm asking you to pray about this week. It's important enough to pray about. If you're married, you should be praying about it with your spouse. You, you should see if there's something God's calling you to, but you'll see down there, there's some conditions. It's a 90-day challenge is this. Put God to the test. He says, test me and see. Put God to the test. For 90 days, tithe. And, and if, if you feel that God hasn't kept up his end of the deal, then come back to the church and we'll give you 100% of what you've given. He said, well, that's a big risk for the church. No, because we believe God is faithful. Now, by the way, you need to give in a way that's trackable. So you can't come back and say you gave a million dollars. By the way, we know you didn't, but uh, you can't do that. So there, there is some things down there to read and know and sort of see that type of thing. But the reality of it is, this is what God wants for us. It's what he wants for us. And so I want you to take the next week and just sort of pray and see if this is something that God has for you. And if he does fill it out, you can fill it out online. Um, it's online. There's a QR code. There's a lot of ways you can get to this thing. But pray over this. See what God has for you. And by the way, I don't know what any of you give. So if you're sitting here and going, I don't know where I'm at. What it doesn't, it's between you and God. Amen, church? It's between you and God. But if God's calling you to take a step of faith, let me tell you something. Don't fight him on it. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. Step out in it and see what he has for you. I'm going to pray, pray over us. But I want to say this first. Far more than a financial issue, at its core, first fruits is a spiritual issue, allowing us believers to live in empowered freedom. And that's the point, empowered freedom and kingdom impact, rather than being enslaved by our old ways before we came to Christ. It's all about freedom. It's all about freedom. And by the way, I just share this real quick. Uh, several years ago, I gave a message on, on, on money, on stewardship, and someone came to Christ. <laughs> Literally after service, they came up and said, I, I, I heard what you said about all these things. I, I need Jesus. That's the first step, right, church? If you've yet to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the first step. What we're talking about here is part of, this, of discipleship. It's part of growing in Christ. But wherever you find yourself, won't you take that next step? And if you need help, I just want to throw this out at you. If you need help, because maybe like my wife and I, you've made some poor financial decisions. I know it's embarrassing to admit that, but we've got some people here at the church who are so gifted in finances who would confidentially love to sit down with you and help you have a better plan for your life. Don't continue, continue to try to wrestle with the thing yourself if someone who's really knowledgeable is willing to help you. And there are people here who are. All you need to do is reach out to the church. It'll be confidential. But we believe God wants us to be free in every area of our life. Amen, church? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you so much just for the, the wonderful journey that we're on with you. Thank you, Lord God, just as putting you first in our heart and putting you first in our priorities, that this first fruits only comes when we understand your love. And how do we understand it? So beyond our comprehension, it's by the power of your spirit that we're able to embrace the fact that you love us so deeply. And we grow in the knowledge of that love as we walk with you. But Lord, my guess is trust is an issue with all of us at one level or another. And so you instituted from the very beginning this, this way of, of this tangible measure of our trust, this first fruits, this tithe. And God, it's about money, but it's about so much more. 
It's about our relationship with you. It's about the freedom that you want us to experience in you. And so God, I pray, this is a pray, pray, I pray a prayer of prayer. (laughs) I pray, Father God, that as we as a church family just sort of pray over this challenge, this 90-day challenge of really taking you up at what you challenge us to, to take you to the test for 90 days with the time and to see, just see how you work. Lord, for 30 years, I've seen people's lives radically changed by stepping out and taking this challenge. Would you work miraculously in our midst as well this year? Lord, I pray for the individual here who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior. And if this is the first time they heard the message of your love for us, what a message. And God, I just pray that you would just help them know how much you love them. That these things that we talk about are discipleship issues, but it starts with just knowing your love for them and that they would receive you as Lord and Savior. They would step into that relationship with you. Lord God, thank you for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation. Thank you for the power that you give us to walk with you, the power you give us to even step out in a challenge like this. Be with us as we pray this week and be with us as we come together next week and talk further about the commitment of walking with you in this area. God, thank you for your profound love. Thank you for your patience with us as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.